We're gonna start a nine-part series on sacrifice because I don't believe we really know in our culture what it means to sacrifice. Uh, We don't have to sacrifice. And so we'll be looking at that a little bit and I'll tell you a little bit more about that, but it's gonna culminate on November 12 is the offering of annual sacrifice. And you might say, now what is that? Well, that's something that started back in 1922 when our funds were really low and the economy was in a a rough place in this country and we didn't have funds for the frontline missionaries. And so they pleaded with the people here to sacrifice and to give up meals or some wages to do without in certain areas to save money. And in the week of prayer following, leading up to that, they pray, Lord, what can I sacrifice? What can I do without? What can I give up? And so we're gonna practice that here and we'll talk more about that. But for the week leading up, I'd like to see our church have groups, small groups of prayer that entire week, meeting every night of the week. Is this possible? I think it is. Uh, To pray that the Lord will help to show us in what ways that we can sacrifice for this offering that will go to frontline missions. If we truly believe we're living in the last days, then we need to sacrifice, don't you think? Are we supposed to live like kings up until Jesus comes? I don't know. So that's what we're going to be talking about, but we're going to be looking at a lot of aspects of sacrifice uh, along the way. But to start out, I was just going to tell you a brief little story of a test. Has anybody here ever been tested? I was wanting that perfect story, and I didn't find it. I'm sure somebody here has it. Pastor Brian probably has it of when somebody has to go through something they have no idea and all of a sudden there's this aha moment they're so glad they did the right thing. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I couldn't find that story, at least not one that happened to me. Maybe I just never passed the test. But I can think of one occasion in particular that uh, someday I may tell you how Elizabeth and I met, but we had met and we started spending lots of time together and having lots of conversations. And on December 7, a day that will live in infamy, we started to date. I have that right, don't I? Okay, just went out over live stream. <clears throat> so we began to date December 7, but I had to still go meet her parents. I had met them one time before, but it was kind of like, hey, Dad, here's a guy I think is cute. Just shake his hand. Oh, hello, nice to see you, da, 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 whatever. But this time, <clears throat> I was actually going to go up to meet the parents as the boyfriend. This was getting serious. Well, we hadn't been dating that long, but you know. So I make the drive up to Maryland. And I have this weird feeling because we, I'll tell you our story another time, or maybe I won't, but we had kind of a rough start. But by the time we were dating, we'll tell each other this now, but I was pretty certain that she was the one. Sounds odd, doesn't it? But I I was. And so as I was driving up to Maryland, I thought, I really think I just might be meeting the in-laws. It's a little scary. I was trying to remember, is her mom cute? I couldn't remember. <laughs> and we get up there and I meet the parents and because you know your, your wife's going to look like your mom. Anyway, <clears throat> <laughs> rough crowd this morning. So I get up there and I meet the parents and I'm, you know, trying to practice all my good manners and be polite and the whole thing. But the test came when her dad said, David, have a little bit of a project that maybe you could help me with. 
eager as can be. Sure, what can I help you with? Well, and he starts to go into a lot of detail. There's a little spot above this bedroom that we've just changed from, anyway, and it's, it needs insulation, and we need to crawl down. I mean, this was a, a pretty rough job. I've never been on the show Dirty Jobs, and this isn't really dirty so much, but it's, it's rough because you have to get up in the attic, which was very hot. Even at Christmas time, it was hot. And we had to go in this tiny little space. The crawl space is not so bad, but then when it gets to the edge where the roof and the gutter, all that area, you had to reach back in there, and, and there was nails poking in from the top. So several times you're hitting your head on these nails. Ow, that didn't feel good. And you're putting insulation, and we had to, to be special with this insulation and cut it around certain things. And, and anybody who's dealt with insulation, I mean, it just it itches, right? And, and so I'm back there, and I'm breathing in. <sighs> All of this, you know, stuff that's shortening my lifespan. <laughs> and I'm trying to put this insulation in there. And <clears throat> a little bit further down, Dave, that's good, that's good. A little bit to the right. <clears throat> I mean, he was working it, let me tell you. <laughs> but we finished the job. The insulation was installed. And I'm pretty sure four kids later I passed the test. I don't know. <clears throat> <laughs> Have you ever been tested? And did you ever have to suffer in the process? Now I suffered a little bit, not much. But I have to tell you, it was worth it. It was very, very worth it. Have you ever had a test or been tested? I mean, if you stop and think, there's a lot of times in life when we are tested. A job interview is very much like a test. Any type of a relationship, there's a, a form of testing that takes place. Is this person for real? Are they genuine? Sure, they're nice on the surface, but when the going gets tough, do they get going? I mean, who is this person really? And so that's where the test comes in to help us to see and to know who this person is. Are they genuine? Is it legitimate? And so we put them through a test of some sort. And we don't necessarily always think of it as such, but a test. And maybe that test involves sacrifice. Like I said, this morning we're looking at character of sacrifice, but we're going to be looking at physical sacrifice, sacrifice of relationships, the sacrifice of self-reliance, the sacrifice of means, of pleasure, of pride, how sacrifice is required, and sacrificing for the gospel. And our theme verse for this series that I'm just going to call sacrifice is whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. Sacrifice. If you don't give, if you don't put in, if you don't sacrifice, if you don't give your all, you're not going to get all of life that God has for you. You're not going to get all the benefits, all the joys. I don't know if I want to enter into a relationship, I might get hurt. I don't know if I want to go downhill skiing. That might turn out badly. I don't know if I want to, you know, and we can just be so reserved and so cushioned all our lives that we don't ever really experience life. Is it true? And the same is true, I believe, with the gospel. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 22, a tremendous story of sacrifice that we have here in Genesis chapter 22. 
And before we jump into that story, we need to give a little background. I know you know the background quite well, but I think it'd be helpful to do a little review. You might recall, leading up to this chapter, rather than trust in God, Abraham lies about Sarah being his sister to Pharaoh in chapter 12, which was, in fact, a half-truth. They had the same father. So they were half-brother-sister siblings, but it really wasn't the whole truth because the truth of the matter was she was his wife. But for fear of his life and all the rest, he told a lie. Not just once, you recall, but twice. Again, in chapter 20, to King Abimelech, same lie. He didn't learn the first time. He didn't learn to trust in God, to trust him to be in charge and to have, let the outcome rest with him. No, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going I'm to have to take charge here. I'm going to have to be conniving. I'm going to have to do it myself. And so he lies the second time. At age 75, Abraham was promised a son, an heir, First in Genesis chapter 12, then again in chapter 13, the promise is seen. And Abraham is extremely wealthy, yet he and his wife are unable to have kids, and all of his wealth will do nothing to change the circumstance. Have you ever seen that individual who finds himself in the hospital, and they're the type of person that they just, they grab the world and they, they just do whatever, everything they touch turns to gold, and they're, they're used to making everything go just the way they want it to go, and then they have a health crisis in their life. And some of them, for the first time, they are helpless to do anything about it. Their bank accounts, their, their resources, who they know, all of that is for naught, because now they are left with a, an illness that nobody knows a cure for. So here's Abraham with all of his money, all of his resources, yet he's unable to produce a son. So after waiting 11 long years, think about that, 11 years is a long time. Where were you 11 years ago? Putting your eight track? I don't know. He follows his wife's poor advice and has Ishmael through his servant Hagar. This, of course, adds all kinds of drama. Yet Ishmael, we know, is not the fulfillment of the promise. And so after Sarah has now gone through menopause, the promise is repeated to Abraham. In Genesis 17, 17, it says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He couldn't even stand upright and laugh. It wasn't a snicker or a giggle. It was a hearty laugh. This is ridiculous. I'm 100 years old. She's 90. She's past childbearing. This isn't possible. says in Genesis 18, 12 also that Sarah laughed. Patriarchs and Prophets 147 says both Abraham and Sarah distrusted the power of God. Yet in that, this story, the scripture reminds us, I think it's chapter 17, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great question that we need to ask ourselves more often, don't you think? Whatever we're facing, whatever we're up against, as impossible as it may seem, is anything too hard for the Lord? Finally, in Genesis 
21. After waiting 25 long years. <clears throat> I don't like waiting 25 days. Much less 25 months. 25 years. And Isaac is born. Fast forward now to Genesis chapter 22 where we're going to pick up the story. When Isaac is 20 years old. And the story takes a dramatic turn. Abraham is asked to do the unthinkable. So in Genesis 22, verse 1, we read, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Notice where the focus is in this passage. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Now, if you have a King James Version, it says God tempts Abraham. The word really means, and we could break it down more. We're not going to take time to do that, but it really means to test or to prove because James 1.13 says God tempts no man. And so that's not really what it's talking about. It's not tempting him to sin. It's simply saying he's testing him. He's proving him. And we might want to take note that this is the eighth time, the eighth occasion that God has spoken to Abraham. So while it didn't happen every day, while years would go by, this isn't the first time that he's heard the voice of the Lord. To some, in some way, to some degree, this is familiar to Abraham. He was able to recognize God's voice. Patriarchs and Prophets says that he might reach the highest standard. God subjected him to another test the closest which man has ever called to endure. God is going to test Abraham. All along, he hasn't been quite genuine. He hasn't quite trusted God fully. But that's what God wants. And so we read, God tested Abraham. And verse 2, he says, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. For any father, this is tough to stomach. How could a loving father even suggest such a thing? Well, I believe God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. I don't think God would have allowed him to slay his son, Isaac. And the reason I think that is in the first verse. God tested Abraham. I believe God wanted to see if he had learned to trust him, to wait on him, to be patient on him. But I don't know about you, but the harder I've had to work for something, the harder it is to give up. Have you noticed that? The harder you've worked on that, hard, that, that house, the harder it is to sell it, or at least to let it go. The harder you've worked on that hot rod, the harder it is to put it up for sale. The more you've petted that little kitten, the harder it is to watch it drive away. And the longer you wait for it, the tougher it is to give it back. I waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. I've invested for the last 20 years. 
in this child, informing their character and teaching them about God and his love and the plan that he has for his life and on and on and on. And you want me to just give that all up? But he wants to see, will he trust God? Will he obey the most counterintuitive command imaginable? Some of us here want a powerful testimony. But we don't want to test. I would submit to you that there, without a test, if there's no test, there's no testimony. If you want a powerful testimony, you have to be tested. And the more you have been tested, the more you have put, been pushed against the wall, the more powerful the testimony. Is it true? I mean, I could say, you know, I went to Hot Dog World and they only gave me four fries instead of five, and so I prayed and prayed and prayed and I got an extra fry. Is that a powerful testimony? No! It's ridiculous. Should have come here on Wednesday night, I would have gotten better food. No tests, no testimony. You get a testimony when you have spent time in the wilderness like Moses, on the Sea of Galilee like Peter, or when you've gone up the mountain like Abraham in this story. And some of you here know exactly what I'm talking about because you feel like at this moment you're being tested. Right now, you're being tested. Now don't get derailed. This isn't a test of Abraham's own goodness, not a test of his own power, his own strength, because in our humanness, we can't do anything. We can't bring about one good and perfect thing. Only God can do that. Rather, it's a test as Abraham trusts God and his word. Does he trust what God has promised? Does Abraham trust God's ability, God's power, God's strength, and God's timing? That's the test. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because the test shows the true character. You want to see what somebody's really like? See them at their worst moment. It's a test. Do we trust in God or do we trust in ourselves? Do we love God or do we more fully love ourselves? Do we have faith in God's promises and in his word or do we have faith in our own abilities, even if they're God-given gifts and abilities? A test is an opportunity for us to show our faithfulness to God. And I believe it's also God's opportunity to show his faithfulness to us. I'm convinced that we don't more fully see the hand of God working in our lives because we don't ever step out in faith. We don't sacrifice. We don't stand on his promises. And so I feed myself, I work for myself, I do everything for myself. And God says, that's too bad. I had an incredible blessing, an incredible testimony for you. If you would have given that in the offering plate instead, I would have had somebody knock on your door just when you asked it. It would have been powerful, but... Alas, I'm sorry. You did it yourself. It's easier to trust our own ideas and resources and abilities. I've heard it said that my generation and the generation behind me want everything their parents had, but they don't want to wait for it. They want it now. Have you heard that? Everything my parents had, I want it now. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the hard work? Where's the doing without so I can have something later? Not this generation. Do without? 
No, 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 no. Instant gratification generation. I want it now. Just put it on credit. Do what I have to do. But don't talk to me about sacrifice. And we get frustrated with God because it's not doing more. He's not doing more in our lives. But when he tests us, we fail to trust him. So rather than 25 years of experience with God, we have one year of experience repeated 25 times. And the same test keeps coming around and keeps coming around and keeps coming around and we say, no, not this time. Oh, no, not this time. Oh, not this time. And instead of going deeper with God, we just stay on the surface like a rock skipping off a pond. 25 years, but the same year repeated over and over and over and over and over. The problem's not God. The problem's our willingness to trust him. We fail to step out in faith, to learn the lessons God is trying to teach us. Like Abraham, we fear for our life, so in self-preservation, we lie about our wife being our sister. Like Abraham, we come up with our own solutions instead of trusting God to bring about his solution in his time. All Abraham knew was that God planned the future around Isaac and God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. How's this gonna work? I don't know. Do you ever have times in your religious experience that you can't figure it out? You can't figure God out? God, how is this gonna work? You've called me to this place. I'm upside down on my, on my house. How's this all gonna come together? I don't know. I mean, Isaac was everything to Abraham, everything. Isaac was his identity. What's your identity? What is your Isaac? Is it the degrees that you've earned? The position that you hold, the salary you make, the trophies that you've won? The hobbies you have, the way you look, the way you dress, the house you live in, even the car you drive. What's your Isaac? What's your identity? What are you withholding from God that keeps you on that ever-flight pattern of rotating around? What area are you holding back? What would be your test of complete surrender to Jesus? Because that's what it is for Abraham. Complete, utter, full. That's the test. He goes and zeroes in on the most challenging, the most difficult, the most no way. You cannot ask me to do this thing. And he says, do it. Sacrifice it. Put it on the altar. Do you find your identity in who you are or in whose you are? Slight change in spelling, but it makes a big difference. Who you are or whose you are. This was the testing ground for Abraham. I came across a story this week. A man who started a ministry and the ministry became incredibly successful. Was touching millions of lives around the globe. And all of it came to a screeching halt after 14 years of just climbing up, 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 up in this ministry. And then it just all came crashing down. And this man was crushed, the founder. He was crushed. He says, God, wasn't this your idea? Weren't you the one blessing all along? Wasn't this your dream? 
And he was confused and he was hurt and he was depressed and then he heard a sermon that saved his soul and it said this, if God gave you a dream and the dream comes to life and God shows up in it and then the dream dies, it may be that God wants to see what's more important to you, the dream or him. God tested Abraham. He wanted to see what was more important. The promise or him? The question we need to ask, is the dream a means of glorifying God? Or has the dream become the end goal and God is the means of fulfilling it? If the dream God has given to you becomes more important than God, you have to sacrifice them for the sake of your own soul. You have to put it on the altar. Now, God may resurrect that dream once he gets that all straightened out. But until he does, you have to put it on the altar. Say, God, this isn't my ministry. This is your ministry. If you want it to fail, let it fail. If you want it to succeed, let it succeed. But you are the most important thing. So all Abraham knew was God planned the future around Isaac, and God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac, and he could not reconcile the two but he would obey anyway. What does Habakkuk 2.4 say? The just shall live by faith. This comes from Patriarchs and Prophets. And it gets me, because as a parent, I love to go into my kid's room after they're sleeping. We oftentimes will check on them right before we go to bed. Make sure that their covers are pulled up. Sometimes they're in a crazy position. Sometimes they're out of the bed. And sometimes they're just as cute as they possibly can be. And here's what it says. It says, returning to his tent. Abraham's just gotten the word now of what he has to do. Nobody knows. Just Abraham and God. Returning to his tent, he went to the place where Isaac lay, sleeping the deep, untroubled sleep of youth and innocence. I mean, this is beautiful. For a moment, the father looked upon the dear face of his son, then turned, trembling away. He went to the side of Sarah, who was also sleeping. Should he awaken her, that she might once more embrace her child? Should he tell her of God's requirement? He longed to unburden his heart to her and to share with her this terrible responsibility, but he was restrained by the fear that she might hinder him. Isaac was her joy and pride. Her life was bound up in him, and the moments, sorry, the mother's love might refuse the sacrifice. And so he swallows deep. I imagine he continues in prayer. I don't imagine he got any sleep that night. And we read in verse 3 so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He doesn't say, Lord, give me time. Help me figure this out. He gets up early. I imagine it could even say as his custom was. But Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. 50 miles away. 
That's a lot of ways to go for a man that's 120 years old. Three days, can you imagine? Walking in silence with your son. Pondering this heavy secret. How would he tell his mother? How would the community respond? How is God's promise going to be fulfilled? And after day one, another night of prayer and wrestling. After day two, another night of prayer and wrestling. Each night, hoping beyond all hope that an angel would appear and say, enough, take this, your man, this young man home to his mother. But no such relief came to his tortured soul. And you know the devil would be there, tempting and scoffing, trying to throw in unbelief and doubt. Even now, he did not murmur against God, but strengthened his own soul by dwelling upon the evidences of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. That's what Spirit Prophecy says. Even in that moment, he would not be doubtful. He would not surrender to disbelief, but he continued to focus on the evidences of the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness. Lord, I don't understand, but you are faithful. You are good. I will trust you. Day one, day two, day three. And Hebrews eleven nineteen, it even makes mention. Verse 19 says, this is the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, concluding that God was able to raise up even from the dead. I don't know how God's going to do this, but maybe I'll slay him and he'll raise him back from the dead. I don't know, I don't get it, I don't understand, but I'm going to submit and I'm going to be faithful. Then on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Notice it says we. There's faith there. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. But he's clinging to that. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where, where, Dad, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And again, a statement of faith from Abraham. He said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Finally, the moment of truth. And I imagine it was with trembling voice that Abraham unfolded to his son the divine message. And with terror and amazement, Isaac learns his fate. But he doesn't offer any resistance. He's 20 years old in the prime of life. His dad's 120. He very easily could have overpowered his father, but he doesn't. He yields in willing submission. 
I imagine the last words spoken in love. I imagine there wasn't a dry eye. I imagine a last embrace given. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. In verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Not just letting something happen, but being the cause of something. But praise the Lord for verse 11. An angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, your pride and joy, that most, the most important thing in your entire life. You haven't kept it from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Amen? Amen. I can't help but think of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There is a replacement in the thicket. Continuing on, verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and as your descendants shall possess the gate of the enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you've obeyed my voice. James 2, 21 and 23 says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith made perfect? Sorry, was made perfect. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now some out there are saying, only believe God, ignore the law and you will be saved. But here in Abraham we have... Genuine faith, genuine love manifested by good works. And it's really not that complicated. If I love my wife, my actions will reveal that. And if I love God, my actions will reveal that. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will bless you because you obeyed my voice. Abraham acted in faith and the Lord provided a sacrifice. The ram was offered in the place of Isaac, representing the Son of God, who was to be sacrificed in your and my stead. Jesus offered his life and was sacrificed that we might live from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Life is the final goal of all sacrifice. You want life, you want eternal life, you want life more abundantly, you sacrifice. You give of yourself 
You want to be miserable? If you want to have a shriveled soul, hang on to everything with all the greedy might you can. But if you want life, sacrifice. Abraham's tests and during those three dark days were permitted that he might understand from his own experience now, not from somebody else's, not from the pastors, not from the elders, not from the guy down the pew. Your own experience is why you're allowed to go through that test. That you'll be able to understand the greatness of the sacrifice made for you. Never again would Abraham sacrifice a lamb in the same way, I promise you. As it foreshadowed the death of Christ on the cross and the infinite cost to the Father, now Abraham and the Father are linked in an experience that will never go away. Every time he picks up the knife. It wasn't an accident, John said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of me and you. The Lamb offered in our place. And Jesus would be shamed and maligned and spit upon and bruised. Yet as the angels witnessed the humiliation and the soul anguish of the Son of God, they were not permitted to interpose as in the case of Isaac. There was no voice to cry, it is enough to save the fallen human race. The king of glory yielded up his life. Romans 8.32, he, the father, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. I don't believe there's any stronger proof or evidence of the infinite compassion and love of God than that he did not spare his own son, but gave him for the crummy likes of you and me. That's incredible. And throughout the rest of Scripture, we continue to hear about Father Abraham, about Father Abraham, about Father Abraham. Because in this story is portrayed an obedient servant who trusts God implicitly, who worships God in faith at great cost and great sacrifice, and in the end receives God's provision. As one Bible commentator puts it, God does not provide until personal sacrifice has been made. True worship is costly. Think about that. True worship is costly? I thought I just got to come and sit here in air-conditioned seats and tap my toe when the time runs out. But it's costly? Another commentator says it this way. The main lesson is obedient faith that overcomes in the trials of life. Abraham teaches us how to face and handle the tests of life to the glory of God. Didn't mean that he understood it. Didn't mean that it made sense. Just that he obeyed. And finally, we just read it, finally Abraham was willing to put it all on the altar. Finally, Abraham was willing to hold nothing back. Finally, Abraham surrendered himself totally and completely. Finally, he was willing to sacrifice everything. And in so doing, he was a living testimony of the power of God to transform a life. The same habitual liar. The same guy who, you know, not here. 
Patriarchs and Prophets 154 says, the trial was far more severe than that which had been brought upon Adam. Compliance with the prohibition laid upon our first parents involved no suffering, but the command to Abraham demanded the most agonizing sacrifice. All heaven beheld with wonder and admiration Abraham's unfaltering obedience. All heaven applauded his fidelity. Satan's accusations were shown to be false. This is huge. This is monumentous, not just in our little planet, but the universe, the world. Friends, I believe we're living in solemn times, very exciting times in Earth's history. And the world is desperate to see a people transformed by the power of the gospel. People want to know if it's for real. And they're watching us. And it's not just people, but it's worlds. It's principalities, it's angels. And when do they watch us most? In times of pain, in times of hardship, and in times of sacrifice. That's when they're watching. And when they're watching you in those moments of sacrifice and pain and hardship, what does your life testimony say about God? 1 Corinthians 4, 9. For it seems to me that God has put us on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena, like martyrs who gave up everything, choosing to die rather than to sin against Jesus. We have been made a spectacle, continuing on the verse, to the world, the universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. They're watching. As Christ's representatives on the earth at this time, by God's grace and by God's grace alone, I pray that we learn the lessons of faith. That we learn to put it all on the altar to hold nothing back, to surrender totally and completely, to sacrifice everything, that again, by God's grace, God may be rightly represented, that God may be glorified. Not that I will be glorified, that he'll be glorified. His reputation, what he can do, the power that exists in him, working in and through me to bring glory to him and what he can do. Does that make sense? Elizabeth just shared this with me this morning. She was reading this this morning and shared it with me on the car ride here. Oftentimes we pray and we write on a a piece of paper, if you will. I mean, you may not be writing, but in your mind. But imagine you're writing all the things that you're doing today. Lord, help me to do this. Help me to be successful here. Help this to go okay. And on and on and on, be with this person. And then we sign our name at the bottom. We give it to God. How different would it be if we sign our name at the bottom and hand in the blank page. I came across a prayer this week that I want to share with you. I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. What a humble prayer. What an attitude of surrender and sacrifice. Yet I believe that in sacrifice, one finds life. 
Paul said in Galatians 3, 7, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. I don't know about you, but I want, by God's grace, to be a son of Abraham. I want to have the character of sacrifice. Luke 17, 33, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, when Abraham was faithful, there in verse 16, I'm going to read it again. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Because of your sacrifice, blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply. Your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Dear Heavenly Father, there are those here that are going through a significant test, a trial, a hardship. And Lord, they may lack understanding that it doesn't make sense. What is the outcome going to be? And it just, every way they turn, it just... But Lord, I pray that each of us here will learn to have the faith of Abraham. Amen. To grow in you day by day, to trust you fully and completely, not to lay some on the altar, but to lay all on the altar. Because in sacrifice is life. And so I pray that we will give all to you, that your Holy Spirit will work in us and through us. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.